The way I explain it is that the epidural is like a garden hose. And when you're trying to thread it through this space, it can go whatever direction it wants. So it can go a little bit to your right side or a little bit to your left side. We don't really know because we don't have x-ray vision here. And so if we pull it back, it helps straighten that out. If you imagine like a windy hose and if you pull it back a little bit, it'll straighten out. And sometimes that's all that's required to, to get the medicine to even out a little bit better. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. On today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Jen Gerber, an obstetric anesthesiologist and mom of two. We focus the majority of our conversation on Jen's experience with epidurals, both administering and receiving during her labors, and she busts one of the biggest myths around epidurals. I hope you enjoy. Jen, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your area of expertise? Okay. So I'm Jennifer Gerber. I'm a practicing board certified OB anesthesiologist. And this means that I um, spent four years training in anesthesiology after medical school. And then I spent an additional year after that in obstetric anesthesia, where I just focused on that one little aspect of anesthesiology. And so my expertise really lies in providing anesthesia for pregnant patients. And most often this means labor epidurals and providing anesthesia for C-sections. Most importantly, I'm a mom to two little Mm -hmm. ones. I have a two-year-old and a three-month-old now. So I've both given and received epidurals now. Got it. So did you do epidurals with? Yes, I did. Okay. There's no way I could have without. (laughs) It's it's so interesting because we were, I was, I was uh, recording a podcast yesterday with a clinical psychologist and we were talking about birth trauma and I was saying, we were talking about our individual stories and I was like, I had a, with my second kid, I had a, an epidural and I was planning on having an epidural. That was always the plan. And then I got the epidural too late and within 20 minutes she was out. And so that was super traumatic for me because I was fully prepared to have a very civilized experience where I, you know, like, like it was my first, with my first baby. And that was not the case. And she was saying, yeah, everybody's what is, what proves to be traumatic is different for everyone. I don't even know why I started that story, but, but all that to say is we will be talking all about epidurals today. And I feel like there's a lot of myths that are out there. And so I'm hoping that you will debunk those and talk about and, and give us all the details. Okay. Yeah. Great. Awesome. So the, I think the first thing I want to ask you is that you mentioned that OB anesthesiology is epidurals and for C-section anesthesia, is there anything else? Yes. Some women need surclages if, if their OB says that's what they need. What, what is that? Usually it is the OB will put kind of sutures around your cervix. It's in women that dilate too early, like preterm labors and deliveries. 
And so it's very similar to a C-section that we give a, a small dose spinal to numb up the lower half of your body for that. We're also involved in fetal surgery at some hospitals. That's usually, there's not very many in the U.S. that do those. So that's a very specialized part. And we are, we're also experts in if you need anesthesia for something else, say you have appendicitis and your appendix taken out, but you're pregnant. We're often consulted for that because usually we're seen as experts to know what medicines to give while you're pregnant or what do I want to say? Like side effects (laughs) (laughs) of these medicines. Got it. And then is every person who is receiving an epidural or a, like, or having a C-section, are they is there an anesthesiologist usually specialized like an OB anesthesiologist or can, or is that not always the case? That's not always the case. So any anesthesiologist can pr- practice OB. If you get a fellowship, it usually means that you really enjoy that type of anesthesia. And many of us are seen as more of the leaders in that type of hospital, certain hospitals, like where I trained, all of the anesthesiologists were fellowship trained. So it really just depends where you deliver. Sometimes CRNAs are also involved. So it's a mix. If you have a fellowship though, you're seen more as the expert in, in the field, but doesn't mean that other people don't have the knowledge as well. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you, so is there any other pain or comfort care that you provide or like during labor, or is it epidurals only? It's usually just epidurals. We work as a team with the OB and the nurses. So prior to receiving an epidural, most OBs will write for IV pain medicines that you can sometimes Mm -hmm. ask for before getting the epidural, if that's something that you're interested in. And in some hospitals, they offer an inhaled medicine called nitrous oxide, which is mm-hmm. the same thing as laughing gas. And so some nurses will administer that, but usually we're not involved in either okay. one of those. Okay. And that's, and honestly, most patients that ask for either one of those do end up asking for an epidural because the epidural is really the best tool that we have for providing pain relief. Isn't that, isn't that, okay. So let's get into the risks of an epidural. Okay. Anytime somebody pokes you, there's a risk of bleeding and infection. The procedure itself is done sterilely. That risk is very low. Back pain, nerve damage are possible, but also very rare. And if you do experience some back pain afterwards, usually it's temporary and goes away just like a bruise. Um, And then we say there's a 1% chance or less of a headache. And that's probably the biggest risk out of all of those. And if you get a headache. Usually it's a special type of headache. You notice it usually the day after delivery. And if you experience one, you just let your nurse know and we come and evaluate if if that's what it is and explain the treatment options for it. Yeah. I I had a friend that had those that had a, so is, is it that happens if they puncture, what is it that happens that causes the migraines? Yeah, so usually the the headache is called a postural puncture headache, and this is a special type of headache where if you got an epidural and the needle went just one layer too far, mm-hmm. and then now there's a little leak out from, there's fluid that coats your brain and your spinal cord, and it's all in continuation, and so there's a little hole in this thin layer now, 
And the fluid that surrounds your brain and your spinal cord can leak out of that into the epidural space, which means that when you sit up or stand because of gravity, more fluid is leaking out and you have a headache. But if you lay down, it's not leaking and your brain isn't falling down with gravity. So you don't feel <laughs> that, the pain. <laughs> so Got it's a it. special kind of headache where usually you sit up or stand and you feel it and you lay down and it goes away completely. Okay. And then how, and you said that was, that's like a 1%? one Yeah. 1% of- or less on your, on its own, it takes about seven days to resolve, which okay. can be very long. And yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for most women that have it pretty bad, it's like, it's suffering because you can't feed your baby very well when you're laying down flat Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you can't do other, no daily functions. So we have other tools to, to help fix that, fortunately. So yeah, just let your nurse know and they'll come evaluate. (laughs) Oh man, that's rough. Okay. So when in labor, can I get an epidural? As long as you've been admitted to labor and delivery and you have an IV in place, it's really whenever you feel like you need it. So I say that there's no point in suffering. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to wait till you are a certain centimeter uh, dilated. The only time we we don't like to place them is if the baby's head is already coming out. Usually that's a a (laughs) no-go. It's not going to (laughs) help. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do have concerns, you can always ask to speak to the anesthesiologist ahead of time. Some women come even before even being admitted for labor to have their questions answers. Others will ask to speak to us. They're like, I'm not ready for it yet, but I want to ask these questions. And that's totally appropriate. Okay. And so I think one of the things, and cause I experienced this in, in my own, in my first, in my, with my first baby was I, my water had broken and before I was in labor. So I had to, I went to the hospital and started mesoprostol to augment labor. So basically to like get my contractions going. Mm-hmm. And after the OB on call came in and evaluated me and I was basically like, okay, when can I get my epidural? And she's, we typically will not, we don't recommend you get it until six centimeters because it could slow down your labor. And I know that is totally something that like is, I would say across the board, people are told that, like I was told that I have friends that were told that why are people being told that? Is that true? What's like, what's happening here? Yeah. That's probably the biggest myth of all time. (laughs) Really? As long as you're feeling pain from the contractions, that's when we can give you an epidural. So if you feel something we put in the epidural. And then we want to see that the pain goes away. That's how we know that the epidural is in the right spot and it's Mm going to work for you. But yes, that is the most common myth. That's like really frustrating because there's really no point in waiting. All you're doing is for for many women suffering a little bit longer. And most people's regrets that we hear, I wish I had asked for this sooner. Actually, the epidural itself in some women will help your labor progress because it relaxes you. It relaxes your pelvic floor muscles. And so sometimes we actually see that you dilate even better than you would have without one. Mm-hmm. And so the zero to 10 centimeters, it's on its own path that your body's going to do. And like I said, sometimes it actually goes faster with epidural just because you're not all clenched up in pain. Yeah. I wish I had, I actually, is there data? So why is that being perpetuated? I'm not really sure to okay. be honest, yeah. but yes, there's been studies that show that the rate that you will dilate or the first stage of labor is is unchanged with an epidural or not an epidural. 
the only time that it can take longer is the pushing part. Mm -hmm. And that's really, if you're too numb, usually you have a hard time feeling stuff and then it's just harder for your body to naturally know, know how to push. So if that does happen to you, your epidural can be turned down or off and then you'll gain that feeling back and be able to push. So it's not a huge concern for most women, okay. um, especially if you are more comfortable pushing. I don't care if I'm pushing for a few extra minutes. Exactly. That's, that is very true. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying to conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips, and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the App Store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. Okay, so when you are getting the epidural, can you walk through that process, like what someone can expect? Yeah, so... When you get the, when you ask for an epidural, usually what happens first is the anesthesiologist will go and grab the supplies. They'll come into the room, introduce themselves. They'll confirm the history that they found in the chart. Usually we try to do this as speedy as possible, just because we know when you're requesting one, usually you're beyond the point of wanting to talk to people for very long. <laughs> <laughs> so we try to do all of this pretty quickly, but we'll explain the risks and then ask if you have any questions. Then we set up the kit. And the most important part really is your posture throughout all of this. So the ideal time to get the epidural is when you feel like you're in pain um, and you want some pain relief, but you're also still able to cooperate and hold still for the procedure. Like mm -hmm. if you don't want to go too far because the posture is really important. And so we'll take some time to make sure that you're in the right position. Your hips need to be even for whatever reason, these labor beds are like notoriously lumpy and not flat <laughs> for whatever reason. So sometimes there's a little adjusting there and we'll ask you to curl around your baby so that you're in like this probably the cat pose of the cat cow. So your back is sticking out towards us. And that just helps open like a up. Like C-like curve. Yes. Like a sea or a cooked shrimp. Yep, yeah. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that just helps open up the spaces between your spinous processes there, which is where the needle needs to go. And after that, you'll feel some cold cleaning solution, a plastic drape. They'll do a timeout, make sure that you do want the epidural. And, and then you'll feel some numbing medicine, which is like a poke and some burning. Usually it's not too different from the feeling of the IV. 
And we do that with the smallest needle that we have. After that, then we go in with the epidural needle, which is bigger, but usually you just feel some pressure in your back. And if you feel anything different, just speak up. We can either inject more numbing medicine or reevaluate where we're going. And then after we find the right spot, so all of this is done with, by feel with the anesthesiologist's hands. So once we feel uh, that we're in the right spot, you'll usually feel a little cramp in your back. And then we thread the catheter, which is a small little tube where the medicine will drip into your epidural space. We thread that in through the needle and some women will experience like an electrical shooting feeling down a leg. I actually had that with my first. It's involuntary and you might like feel like kind of jump. Oftentimes we kind of notice, <laughs> but you want to say something if you feel that. And then we'll just try to redirect where the catheter is going. It's just rubbing up against a nerve. Got it. There's okay. no harm done if that happens. It's just, just say something. Yeah. Just say something. Yeah. And we'll try to adjust where it's going. After that, you feel a little tugging when the needle's coming out. And then, then we inject what's called a test dose through the catheter. And usually we'll ask you if you feel anything weird, like metal taste in your mouth, hear, ringing in your ears, sleepy, sedated, or if you feel any like numbness or unable to wiggle your toes, all of those are things to speak up if you feel in the next few minutes. And then from there, you get more medicine, assuming that you feel no different. Got it. And then, and how quickly does that, do I feel it? Do I not feel it? Yeah. So once the medicine is all in the epidural, usually it takes about 15 minutes for it to totally kick in. But during this time, your contractions should start to feel shorter before they get better. Okay. So each contraction should start to feel a little bit shorter, then it gets better. And from there, you're on your way to feeling much happier. Now, the one of my big things was I like, I wanted to hold off on getting the epidural until because for one of as soon as I uh, with my this was my first baby when they augmented my labor, I was they're getting the contractions going, it got my bowels going too, <laughs> which is very common, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I'm going to wait until this is over before I get this, get the, get an epidural because I don't want to be doing this in a bedpan. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was my thing. And so with my second baby, that was actually why I waited too, is because I was just like, I got to wait. I'm going to, my contractions are going, I'm here. Like definitely things are happening. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And so I did, and I waited too long, which was not good, but, but yeah, so that I think, would you say that's a downside of an epidural is not being able to move or can you move when you have an epidural? What's the, what are your limitations? Yeah. So that's a great question. And for most epidurals, we say that you have to stay in bed. You can move around in bed as much as you want, but you can get numbness numbing feeling in your legs and feet. And so we don't want you up out of bed walking because you might accidentally fall from that weird feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and the ideal epidural really is where you have pain relief, but you can still feel touch pressure, but you can move your legs. So mm -hmm. you should be able to move around in bed. And usually we ask that you just be careful because you're connected usually to a bunch of stuff too. Yeah. And usually we, the nurse will manage your bladder depending on, you know, where you are in labor. Yeah. They might end up putting in a catheter into your bladder to help drain it. So you don't have to get up to use the bathroom. As far as number two, they also manage that. And I'm usually not around at all for that. <laughs> Perk of the job, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the, okay. So, so, and then, so what is a walking epidural? Yes. So where I trained, uh, we did both walking epidurals and the standard epidurals and the standard solution is what's usually offered at almost every hospital, which is what we, we talked about where you stay in bed because your legs feel a little bit more numb, mm-hmm. but the walking epidural is something that we offered where I trained and it's a more dilute solution of the medicine. And so you're able to still walk around with the epidural going. So you'll see women in the halls walking with the pole, with the epidural connected and someone will bounce on the ball and all of that. And it it was really a great tool to be able to provide. And it just comes down to there's, there's two different kinds of medicines in the epidural. There's a narcotic, which is exact same pain medicine that the OB will write for you if you need in your IV, but at a much lower dose. Mm -hmm. And there's a local anesthetic, which is the same type of medicine that the dentist uses to numb up your teeth if you need a cavity filled and and that numbing medicine we love using because it, it just that's what helps you get that nice numb feeling but it also is that numb feeling is what can prevent you from being able to walk around very well got it <laughs> so got it. the walking epidural has a lot lower concentration of that numbing medicine Got it. And so if that's something that you want when you imagine or picture your birth experience, should you ask your OB or when you do a hospital tour, do you find out if that's an option at the hospital or wherever you're delivering? Yeah, I think you could ask your OB should probably know um, if that's common practice at where they're delivering the hospital tour or people at the hospital should also know. But I, I think those are both, you know, great points where you could ask up front to, to know if that's even an option for you. Okay. And then you do men, you did mention that people can move around in their bed. I had a, a good friend that just delivered her baby and she had an epidural, but was still able to get on her hands and knees. And so I think like one of the other myths of epidurals, you have to deliver on your back. That's yes. Yeah. Totally. You don't have to, I defer to the OB with what they're comfortable with and what they Mm -hmm. recommend, but yeah, the ideal epidural, you can deliver in most of those positions. Some of them might be a little bit, you know, trickier with the logistics of the cord or whatever, and getting to that position, Mm -hmm. but yes, ideally you should be able to deliver in any of those positions that are out there yeah. <laughs> as options do, is there, so I'm trying to think of like other myths that, or if I, and I don't, again, I don't know if these are myths, so I'm going to defer to you, but is it, I think a lot of moms that don't want an epidural will say that it's because the baby is drugged up after what are some other things that, that you've heard or that you can talk to? Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest things that we hear or concerns that we hear. So epidurals are very safe in that the medicine that you receive is just delivered to your epidural space, so the mom's epidural space. And since this medicine is right up next to the nerves that you know are what are causing the pain, we can actually use a smaller dose of them compared to, say, the IV medicine. And since it's delivered straight into that space, there's actually less that gets into your bloodstream, which is eventually what baby sees. So it's very safe. You don't feel sleepy as a side effect from it because it's just delivered straight to that source. 
or mm. of the pain. And that's what makes it so great because unlike the inhaled medicines or the IV pain medicines, baby sees like very little of whatever's given in your epidural. Got it. Okay. That's helpful. Any, oh yeah. What is the, so how long after, what is the app? Like how long does it last? And like, when will, and I'm like, I think I remember I was managing the bolus for a while. Yes. Yes. So so after it's placed, we hook you up to this infusion pump. Usually there's a constant drip of medicine that's going through your epidural while you're there. And that keeps going until you deliver. And then after, usually after the placenta is out, they'll, they'll turn it off, assuming that you don't need a a big repair or anything. And then, yeah. So the great thing about it is that the epidural can be tailored to what you need. So we often also give a little button that you can push if you need more pain medicine. And that just gives a little boost through the epidural. And usually that takes about 15, 20 minutes or so to kick in from the time that you push it. So it takes a few minutes to deliver the drugs and then it, anything through that epidural space takes about 15 minutes to totally work. Okay. So I usually say, don't wait till your pain is like excruciating because you still need a little bit of time for it to work. Some women don't even need to push that button. It's all very, I would say dependent on the woman, but also like each baby can be different. You're like, mm-hmm. each labor story is totally different. Yeah. So the button is great. And if that doesn't work, usually we say if you've hit it twice and it's not doing anything for you, the nurse will usually call us and we'll come evaluate what's going on. And you might get a, a different dose through it from one of us. On the opposite side, if you're feeling too numb, where you can't move your legs and you're not feeling anything, we can turn it down. Dates are so hot right now. And no, not the ones you go on. Well, maybe those two. Medjool dates are sweet fruit that are nutrient-dense and full of the vitamins and minerals you need for a healthy pregnancy and more. Did you know eating Medjool dates in the third trimester can mean an easier labor? At Juna, we absolutely love Julie's dates. I religiously ate them during my third trimester. I'd pop them into smoothies or eat them as a snack with a dab of peanut butter and a chocolate chip or walnut on top. They have the cutest mint-colored, sustainable paper boxes and none of those dull, generic plastic tubs. Dates are so versatile and recipes are on their own. Julie's is changing the dating game one medjool date at a time. To get 20% off your first order, use the code JUNA20 at checkout. Go to www.jooliees.com and use the code JUNA20 at checkout. One of the, so my sister-in-law warned me of her epidural experience, which was like, she was like, it was great, but it only was working on one side of my body and she could feel everything on one side. And that had happened to me too. And so I call, I basically told the nurse what was happening. Like, it was like, I was completely numb on one side and she called the anesthesiologist back in and basically pulled it out and replaced it. And so I guess how common is that now there, can you just talk to that a little bit? Yeah. I don't know how common it is. It's definitely more common than the headache and Mm-hmm. Other things. So there's always a chance that it doesn't work perfectly or as you had hoped. If it's one sided, there's a couple different things. Obviously, we come in to evaluate, but if you've been laying on one side, the medicine falls with gravity. So if you've been laying on your right side down, your right side will be more numb than your left side. Mm-hmm. And so the nurse is usually in charge of making sure you rotate back and forth to keep that even. So that's usually where we, we start is we get you on the painful side down and might give you some extra medicine to see if that 
goes to that side and if that first relieves the pain if I assume like with your sister that they already tried that (laughs) (laughs) and then the next step is usually what you described is that we'll pull back the catheter probably about a centimeter and see if that does it and the way I explain it is that the epidural is like a garden hose and when you're trying to thread it through this space it can go whatever direction it wants so it can go a little bit to your right side or a little bit to your left side we don't really know because we don't have x-ray vision here and so if we pull it back it helps straighten that out if you imagine like a windy hose and if you pull it back a little bit it'll straighten out and sometimes that's all that's required to to get the medicine to even out a little bit better yeah that's helpful Okay. Now the last thing that I kind of would love for you to talk through is what can, like so anyone who A, has a planned C-section or an emergency, I guess if you can walk through what that experience is like for the planned C-section and then what it could look like for an emergency C-section, just so for people who are listening, if something happens that they don't expect, they can at least be prepared with this. And then as well as what is the C-section uh, experience like? Yeah. So for most women that have a planned C-section, we plan to do a spinal anesthetic, which is pretty similar to an epidural, but it's a tinier needle and actually smaller dose of medicine. And it numbs you up completely from your chest down. And the risks are the same to the epidural, say like there's a risk of bleeding infection, back pain, nerve damage, and headache. All of those are very low and you get in that same position for the epidural. So all of that is very similar. It works faster and there's no catheter tubing in there. So there's not an infusion running while it's going. It only lasts about two hours or so. And so that's why it's usually reserved for either women that are about to deliver and you're able to sneak that in for them to help provide some pain relief or C-sections because mm-hmm. we, it only works for a couple hours and then it's gone. It starts wearing off. And so you'll start to notice warmth that goes down your butt and down your toes and maybe some tingling almost immediately. So unlike the epidural that takes about 15 minutes to work, this works within minutes and we lay you down pretty quickly so that it sets up appropriately. And the numbness that goes up to your chest, sometimes we say, some women say that they feel a little short of breath because you can't feel your rib cage move uh, up and down anymore. And that's very normal. But if you're concerned, you, you just speak up. We monitor all of that throughout and the are, whole are you surgery. There? Yeah. Okay. So you're there throughout the whole Yeah. Surgery. And we're there. And really you feel anything funny, just speak up and, and we'll either assure, reassure you or evaluate what's going on. And then if you are in labor and end up needing a C-section, the great thing about having an epidural and why I definitely wanted one was that it can be used in this situation. So you don't have to be put to sleep. So we can use your labor epidural most times to inject, you know, stronger medicine that makes you a little bit more numb for the surgery. Got it. And then what instances of an emergency C-section are you, are women like put completely under? Yeah. So if, if you have certain conditions where you're not able to have a spinal or an epidural for safety reasons, that might be something that might be part of your plan. Otherwise you're put to sleep in situations where there's just not enough time sometimes for the spinal. Although to be honest, in most situations, the setup for a spinal doesn't take 
that much longer than putting you to sleep. But it's usually in these emergency situations where you're just put to sleep because there's not enough time to do it. Or if you were in labor and had an epidural and it wasn't working right and we gave you some medicine and you're not numb enough, but your baby's in distress and needs to come out and there's not time to troubleshoot this, then you'll be put to sleep for the surgery. Got it. And then how long does that last? Just for the surgery. So you're woken up in that room and, and then you, you, you go to the PACU or yeah, usually, sorry, (laughs) you're going to need to edit this. (laughs) (laughs) So usually you're asleep just for the length of the surgery. And after the surgery, we wake you up and then usually you're able to see your baby at that point. However, anytime you're put to sleep, the the NICU is usually called if there's a NICU team, just to make sure because any medicine that goes through your IV, the baby can see. So sometimes these babies come out a little bit sleepy. The other thing to know is is if you have to be put to sleep for a C-section, usually it, it feels a little bit like chaos because we get you ready before we put you to sleep. So they'll actually prep and clean your, your belly off and you'll see the OB gowned up, ready to go and have their instruments ready. And you'll be breathing some oxygen. And once everyone says that they're ready to go, then we give the drugs so that the baby usually doesn't see hardly any of it because they essentially cut and go right. Once right. we say like your sleep. Got yeah. it. Okay. Oh, I had one more question and I spaced. Oh yes. I now remember. So and this happened to me. And so I'm, and you brought it up too, cause you, you do sit through the entire C-section. And so I remember when I was asking when I should get my epidural, the nurse was like, just to let you know, we have two scheduled C-sections at X and X. And so if you're planning on getting an epidural, you should get your, you should let me know that you're planning on getting your epidural because depending on how this moves along, like you just, this is when, and so I guess how common is that? And is there, is there, is that, is it good advice to, you know, like when you get situated to figure out, Hey, what's my game plan and what are my options? Yeah. I would say the more prepared you are and let your intentions be known up front, the better mm-hmm. each hospital is different with the amount of resources that they have. So it can be common where if the anesthesiologist is tied up in the C-section, they're not able to leave that woman having surgery to go do your labor epidural. Unfortunately, you're going to have to wait until that surgery is done and they're free to come, come place your epidural. But if, Hey, I'm starting to get a little bit painful. And the nurse knows like, there's a surgery that's going to happen here in an hour. They might try to talk you into like, now might be a better time for you to get the epidural. Mm-hmm. So you're not waiting. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. That's I, that was when I was like, okay, let's do it. We'll do it now. <laughs> now is the yeah. time. Awesome. I don't have any other questions. Is there anything else that I might have missed or that you think we should communicate? I'm trying to look this over. Yes. So As far as myths go that we discussed before, so another kind of more common risk or a more common myth is that having an epidural will increase your chance of having a C-section. For some women, they think that the epidural and C-section are linked, but this is not true. Whatever happens if you end up with a C-section, it's not because you got an epidural. And like I mentioned earlier, that the nice thing is that we can actually use your epidural so you can be awake for the surgery and see your baby being born. Yeah, that's a good point. Is that the, that's part of the like cascade of interventions? Like one thing leads to another, leads to another. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so some people might think, oh, I got an epidural and that's why, because that was the last thing that happened to you. That's why you're having a C-section. But leading up to it, there's all these associations that we can't really fully explain. But obviously, if you're having a more painful labor because the baby's not positioned, you might request an epidural more so than somebody that where the baby's aligned and ready to have a vaginal delivery. So you might see some association there, but it's not the cause of the C-section. Yeah. And one of the other, actually, I don't know if or have data on this, but one of the reasons one of the things that intrigued me with my third baby about not having an epidural was I was wondering if epidurals, if you had an epidural, if it's more, if you're more likely to have a perennial tear, because I'm like, oh yeah, you it, like you can feel more, like if you don't have an epidural, you can feel more. So you might push differently, like all that. This sort of, mm-hmm. It was more just like, I was like, oh, I wonder, and maybe I'll give that a try. Is there data on that? I'm not sure if there's data on that, but I can speak personally. Yeah. <laughs> so my, with my first baby, I had an epidural and it was wonderful. I was nice and numb, actually probably a little bit too numb because the first hour I pushed and got nowhere, mm-hmm. but I did not tear, which was mm-hmm. awesome. With my second baby, things went a little bit too fast and I got an epidural and things just progressed so quickly that I ended up like feeling too much (laughs) and they describe it as a circle of fire but in my mind it was like a circle of hell (laughs) just like I I can't do this and and it came out of nowhere I was comfortable and then all of a sudden she like engaged and it was just like crazy um and and so thankfully my friend gave me some more through the epidural and it took some minutes but I got comfortable but I was able to feel pressure and it was great and I pushed her out way faster than I did with my first, with my first, I pushed for three hours, which was mm-hmm. a bit too long. Versus this baby. I think I was in, in the hospital for maybe three hours before she was delivered. <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> fast. And, and I tore with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. I actually think that it like your, it has more to do with your, with like your, your like your perineum has to stretch. And so if, if it doesn't yeah. get the chance to stretch, then I think you're just, it's going to tear. And, and it has more to do with body and all, all these things, right? Like I, in my own personal experience, my first, with my first baby, I tore, I had an epidural and I felt nothing, like nothing. They were like, oh, and the head's out. And I'm like, great. Yeah. I could like, my husband was holding my legs and he like, will still tell he's, it was like dead weight. Like it was just there. You felt, I did, I felt nothing. And then with my second baby, I felt 95% of it and, and she came really fast too. And I tore the exact same tear. Like it was just like, even the OB was the same OB and she's up right along the same line. Like that's where you tore. And with my third baby who I did not have an epidural with, I also tore, but it was a much, it was a very mild tour, but tear, mild tear. It was a grade one instead of a grade two, but Mm -hmm. I tore it's, it was a good test, but yes. for me, it, it meant nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because at the first, I, I, I did more of the perineal massage at the, the PT that I saw recommended before. And I, I didn't do it the second, because she told me it's not been shown to be as beneficial with your second, third baby. You know, oh, wow. It's mostly with your first baby been shown to have a benefit. So it's okay. Why am I going to do this? And so immediately yeah. afterwards, I, that was the first words out of my mouth. It's like, I should have done the massage. <laughs> <laughs> 
And yeah. the OB looked at me, I don't know if that would have helped. But. <laughs> How bad was your tear? I had a second degree as okay. well. So it's, yeah, it's, it was a much worse recovery compared to not tearing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I had such bad hemorrhoids with my last one that I didn't get to enjoy any of the benefits of, of having a mild tear. Cause it was, I had five thrombos hemorrhoids. It was the most insane. Like when I went to the proctologist, he was like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> that says a lot, by the way, <laughs> like if I horrified the proctologist. but yeah, it was, that was, I, and I would actually say that was the one sad thing. I was just like, oh, it would have been really nice to have had an app to not have felt like my butthole was going to explode when I was pushing this baby out. <laughs> like, that was what it felt like. It would have been nice to have not had to experience that. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah. On that note, <laughs> we can wrap it up. Cool. I, that is, I, any, anything else? Have we missed anything? Let's see. I don't think so. You mentioned something about how a lot of women think that getting an epidural is cheating. Mm, yes. And I, I think that's a common sentiment for whatever reason in our society that having this unmedicated birth is like the, the trophy prize. But the reality is that, you know, we just want you to deliver safely and have both you and baby be healthy. And there's no trophy for having an unmedicated birth at all. And yep. nobody asks afterwards, really. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. focused on, oh, the baby's here and how are you doing? And it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it is an interesting thing. I even like, I, I have changed my language around it too. Cause a lot of people will say natural birth and I'm like, all birth is natural, unmedicated. That's like that. If you want to say, oh, I had an unmedicated, if you didn't have an epidural, it's and say unmedicated, but all birth is natural. That's fine. And I, it is interesting. Who cares? Everyone has a different plan for their birth. And if you got that baby out, whether it was via C-section, whether it was with an epidural, with laughing, whatever it is, you birthed a baby and that's really all that matters. And if it's happy and healthy and you're happy and healthy, I will say my my epidural births were like, or my first epidural birth was so civilized. It was just like, you know, like, and that's how I would describe it. I was just like, I was peaceful. Like I just wasn't in agony. And it was my second one, which was the half epidural, half not right. That was the most traumatic for me because I just wasn't prepared for feeling everything I was at all. That was just a scary thing. And my, my third one where I didn't have an epidural was just different. Like it was, I was prepared to not have to, to feel everything. So that was yeah. a totally different mental space. And so for anyone listening, whatever your choice is with birth, like that's fine. I think it's like, don't let anyone um, tell you what the right way to give birth to your baby is. Yes, exactly. It, it's your body and yeah. you, know, <laughs> you do what you need to do to cope and get there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. There's no trophies, <laughs> no trophies <laughs> being handed out for those who made it through. We could only wish the trophy <laughs> is your baby and everyone gets one, right? Like, yes. <laughs> so exactly. cool. Thank you so much for your time today. I know that you're still enjoying maternity leave. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. 
If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.